Uh, For the rest of us in here, we are going, as you heard a moment ago, we're going to be finishing up uh, the book of Ephesians uh, this morning. Um, So if you're there, you're welcome to turn to chapter 6 as we've Work our way through the book of Ephesians, it's a tour de force, no doubt. The first three chapters focused on the reality of what is true for us who are in Christ, for those of us who have been saved and rescued by him. And then since chapter 4, he's been telling us, okay, now how are we to go on living based off of that reality? I hope this morning as we see his conclusion, he brings these pieces together for us. Now, I must say, we're, we're, we're covering a pretty big chunk uh, of passage this morning to conclude. Um, you may have heard the name Martin Lloyd-Jones before. Um, he is uh, famous for turning uh, this passage into over 68 sermons. Um, so we're not going to be kind of looking into that kind of depth. My hope is, and, and maybe it will be to our advantage this morning, to look at the breadth and the width of what God has before us this morning, to look and to see not the microscopic picture of what all these little pieces of armor are for, but to see what the big picture is of of what Paul is calling us to. So let's, let's look to the word, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also, uh, also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you bless now the preaching of your word? Would you feed us with your life-giving word this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you noticed as I was reading, Paul introduces in our passage a very descriptive uh, reality, a reality I think that sometimes you and I were we're kind of oblivious to, we like to live peaceful lives, lives without tension. And yet, yet Paul tells us about an unseen reality uh, that's going on, a supernatural reality um, of, where we see a devil, we see rulers, we see authorities, we see cosmic powers. Paul is telling us this morning that a war is raging, a spiritual war, a spiritual battle 
is at work, and we may sometimes be completely oblivious to it. I was thinking, um, you may, some of you may remember back when Saving Private Ryan uh, came out, a movie in the movie theaters. One of the things it was billed at is it was like one of the most realistic depictions of the battlefield that up to that time. Because as you watch it, and I'm not necessarily recommending everyone go out and watch it, but as you watch it, you see the horror that war is. You see how, how, how bad it is. And look, I've never been to war. Some, some of you have. So I don't want to assume too much. But we are so often so removed from war in our culture. So far removed, like what's going on in the Ukraine and, and the battles on the day. Like we, we have no concept of that. We know it's bad. But we have no concept of how bad it is, if you will, right? Um, Paul is trying to shake us a bit and help us to understand how, that there is really a war going on. That there is a spiritual war going on, unseen to us, but it is at work and it affects us. It, in fact, affects our everyday life. There is a reality and we must not miss it. Okay. Now, just as Paul is telling us this reality that we're going to see this morning, let's not forget the reality that he's already told us. He spent a lot of time talking about it. And we, we struggle with this too. Back in chapter 1, what did he tell us about Jesus? That Jesus, in, in verse 20, was raised from the dead and seated at the Father's right hand, Right? in the heavenly places. And then in chapter 2, what did we read about ourselves? That, that even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places. And we hear that and we say, huh? You know, it, it doesn't feel like it, but yet what has Paul told us? It is the reality. As he went on in chapter 2 to say, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, And then in verse 21, that we are a holy temple in the Lord. These are incredible things. Paul has told us this is what is real. It's really true. Whether we can every moment tangibly experience and grab a hold of it, it is just as true as all the other things in our lives. Paul wants us to know and has wanted us to know the reality that comes from our union with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now this morning he wants to make clear that there's a reality connected with that that we must know about. He's hinted at it before, but now he speaks at it with great clarity, doesn't it? Look at verses 11 and 12. Uh, Or what does he he say there at the the end of verse 11? He says, the schemes of the devil, right? Chapter 6. He talks about the schemes of the devil. And then as he continues in verse 12, what does he say? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so in verse 13, what does he say? We must withstand what in this evil day? Verse 16, what does he talk about? He talks about the flaming darts in verse 16 of the evil one. Okay, this, he is saying, this is reality. This is real. This is really going on around us, whether we, we see it or not. Maybe you remember the slap seemingly heard around the world a few months back um, where Will Smith slapped uh, Chris Rock for saying not-so-nice things about his wife. Um, it's said that Denzel Washington went up to uh, Will Smith in, in the break, and he told him this. He said, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. There's great truth in what Denzel said, but I want to expand upon it a bit because it's not just at our great height 
that he comes for us. It's not just there that the battle rages. It, it battles when we're at our highest. It battles when we're at our lowest and everywhere in between. It is at work. There is a supernatural, spiritual battle, a war going on. There is an enemy, the devil. And he is at work. He is not God. Let's not give him qualities that he does not have, but let's not miss his power and the power and the work of the rest of the demons. One that made Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8 say, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is at work. It's going on. Sometimes we see the reality of it in our own lives, don't we? We're all involved in war. Let's not deceive our things into thinking that this isn't the reality in which we live. Let's also not deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, now we're at war. You know, things used to be so good back in the day, but now things have gotten really bad. The war just continues, my friends. Methods may change. Methods of deceit may change by the evil one, but the war still rages just the same. We need to be careful about believing lies about this war. Maybe you've read before the screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis um, wrote it, and it's a, it's a demon uncle talking to his, his nephew, also a demon. And he's trying to tutor him along as he's beginning to try to come into a person's life like our own and try to convince them of the falseness of the gospel and trying to pull him away from Christ. This is one of the things that he tells them. He tells them this. He says the game is to have them running about with fire extinguishers. Whenever there is a flood and all are crowding on one side of the boat and the boat's beginning to sink. What does he say? Have them all focused. Oh, there's a fire. Have you seen the fire? When in reality there is a great flood and you're about to sink and you're about to drown. And I fear as we we think about the battle that rages in our war, sometimes that's how we think about it. We think of all these things going on in our world today and we pinpoint that's the problem or that's the problem. And we miss the problem that Paul is trying to point us to today. This great supernatural battle that is going on. Paul is grabbing us by the shoulders and saying, you've been born in the midst of a war. You're living in the midst of a war. Do you know it? The battle rages every day. It rages, as he's told us, in the heavenly places. But let's not also miss, it rages. And it plays itself out. In the mundane, and the, the little things of our life as well, it, it, it plays itself out in our lives every day. It, it plays itself out in those areas closest to us as well. Yes, in the heavenlies, but also plays itself out in our heart, doesn't it? And we can convince our thing, ourselves that things aren't that bad. Or that the, the, this battle that's raging, it's not that bad. I mean, I can handle this. Uncle Screw's Tape had something else to say to his, his nephew. He said this, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. What are those gradual ways that the liar is coming into your life trying to convince you that things are not that bad? That those temptations, those things that you're struggling with are not that significant. Oh, there we may find the greatest danger. There we may find the greatest danger. James puts it this way. But each person, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it 
has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, what does it do? It gives birth to death. The war rages in heavenly places, but it also rages in our hearts. As the evil one tries to dissuade us, even as that remaining sinfulness in in us tries to dissuade us away from the way in which God would have us go. Now, Paul, in our passage this morning, he tries to bring us, okay, what do we do? This, This war is going on. How do we handle it? What are we called to do? How do we handle this battle? And he's going to talk to us about that. But before we get there, I want to, I think it's important that we know something else of the reality of where we live. And that is the reality that the victory has already been secured. Yes, we're in the midst of a battle, but let's not forget that the victory has already been secured by Jesus Christ. I mentioned Saving Private Ryan a few minutes ago, which is, of course, about the, uh, it takes place in the context of the, that, that invasion at Normandy the, on D-Day, that horrific battle where the Allied troops go in to, to, to begin the retaking of France, right? The 50th anniversary of that, back in the la- end of the last century, strange to talk about things that way, but at the, towards the end of the last century, um, there were some interviews that went on, and one Marine who was on the ground, who landed on Omaha Beach, that's like the worst of the worst places you could possibly land on D-Day. He says, I remember looking around me and seeing all the bloody casualties and thinking, we are going to lose. We're going to lose. But then there was another interview of a U.S. Army Air Corps reconnaissance pilot who was flying over the battlefield at the same time, in the same context. And he said he viewed the carnage on the beaches and the hills. He witnessed the success of the Marines, the penetration of the paratroopers, the effectiveness of the aerial bombardment as he looked upon it. He said, we're going to win. Two totally different perspectives. I don't mean to overly compare spiritual war to physical warfare or the warfare there at Normandy. But you see, yes, there's, there's this reality of the war that, that goes on around us. And at times it can seem like we're losing. It can seem like we have no hope. But just at the same time, we need to remember that though we're in the midst of a battle, the victory has already been secured. It's already been won. In fact, that's kind of where, where, where Paul started back at the beginning of Ephesians. Uh, in Ephesians 1, starting at verse 19, he begins to, to speak about all that is, is true now because of Christ. And as we move on through that passage, he talks about how he, he raised him from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He has put under his feet all things. The victory, as we talk about this war that rages, please do not forget and don't miss that the victory has already been secured. But Paul tells us how do we live with the reality of where we live right now. As we live in the midst of warfare, as we live in the midst of the battle. Now, of course, our, our, our minds can be like, well, put on the armor. Okay, we, we know this passage. Many of us know it well. I want us to see something first, though. Did you notice it? Look at uh, verse 11. What does he say? He says, put on the whole armor of God, or God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In verse 13, what does he say? 
He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then in verse 14, what does he say? Stand, therefore. Do you hear something? Do you notice a common denominator that's being said over and over? What is he encouraging? What is he calling us to do but to stand? This isn't the only place. This is, Paul loves this word. We could go through a litany of, of verses that, that, that he uses it. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. 1 Thessalonians 3, 8. For, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. He's calling us to stand firm. He, he's not telling us, hey, put on your armor and stuff, and, and we're going to launch this offensive. You know, we're going to be like a tactical special ops, and we're going to go in. You know, like they, they went in and took out Osama bin Laden. That's not what he's calling us to, right? He's calling us to stand. He's calling us to remain standing. And we're to remain standing amidst what? The, the picture here is of hand-to-hand combat. Okay, not, not like launching missiles at people and stuff like we do these days. No, hand-to-hand combat. And so, to remain standing amidst all this combat, to not fall down, is a wonderful achievement in and of itself. That we can remain standing. How can we do this? How can we remain standing? Well, we've been given armor. We've been given armor. Think about it for a moment. What kind of armor is this? Or better yet, whose armor? Did you notice? Verse 11, put on what? The whole armor of God. And and that is in the context of verse 10 that comes before it. What does he say? Finally, be strong, what? In the Lord. And in the strength of his might. Whose strength? Whose might? The Lord's. In verse 13, what does he tell us again? Therefore, take up what? The whole armor of God. Let's make sure we're 100% clear on whose armor this is. It's God's armor. We don't have time. I wish we did to jump into Isaiah 11 and, and Isaiah 59. But you know, if we did, what we would see there is that these pieces of armor that Paul pulls out for us here in Ephesians, they're, they're described as the pieces of armor that God has. They're his armor. He's described as having these things. They're, as our passage says, they're the armor of God. Now, this comes with great significance, right? Just think about it. If it's God's armor, it's pretty good armor, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of the understatement, right? If it's God's armor, you can't have better armor than that, right? It's the best possible armor. And not to mention maybe the most incredible thing, that if it's God's armor, you know what that means? That means that our Savior wore it. It's the armor that allowed him to withstand the temptation in the garden, the temptation in the wilderness, the temptations throughout his life, the temptations they must have suffered as he was getting so close to the cross and he was able to withstand because he was wearing this armor. And he used this armor in battle, right? He was tempted yet without sin. He used it in battle against Satan himself. First, first John 3.8 puts it this way. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
Jesus went to battle with this armor. Uh, uh, he is a great warrior, and he went to battle, a battle like none of us have ever seen, and he came out victorious. Please do not miss it. Now, he has given you and I his armor that we might be able to remain standing. Isn't that incredible? Now, what are these pieces of armor? Verse 14, what do we have? <laughs> the belt of truth. And then the breast, the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, uh, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel. Verse 16, the shield of faith. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. And verse 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we could sit there and we could dive into each one of these individually, but I think we need to think of it as a complete unit. That the armor is worthless without all the pieces coming together. And did you hear what you're armoring yourself with? Let's make sure we hear it. What does he say we're armoring ourselves with? First, truth. Second, righteousness. Third, the gospel. Fourth, faith. Fifth, salvation. Sixth, the word of God. All of these items are, are, are incredible resources which come to us in Christ. And if you think about it, they, they, they reflect his very character, don't they? And his attributes, and, and they're, they're given to us. And, and this armor, it's, it's like a foreign armor to us, isn't it? It doesn't quite fit right it's, but, because it's his. But through the Holy Spirit, he, he gives it to us. Even though we don't deserve it, it's, it's amazing. And so Paul, in verse 11, what does he call us to? He says, put on the whole armor of God. John Calvin puts it this way. He says, we ought to be prepared on all sides so as to want nothing. The Lord offers to us arms for repelling every kind of attack. It remains for us to apply them to use and not leave them hanging on the wall. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. Do you leave them hanging on the wall? What is Paul calling us to? Hear this. He's calling us first to stand firm in the truth that is found in Jesus, the one who is the truth. As Paul said earlier, what did he say in verse 13, chapter 1? The word of truth, the gospel of salvation. He calls us to stand firm in righteousness, a righteousness that is not our own, but is Christ's own righteousness. As he told us earlier in chapter 4, what did he say? To, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Third, stand firm. What? In the gospel of peace in which we are able to stand. Those of us who were formerly in this epistle, we were called children of wrath. We're given new life because Jesus came that he, as we see in chapter 2, verse 16, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Do, do, do we see this amazing gospel? We're able to stand firm in faith, a faith that is not of our own. It's not about our quantity or quality. What do we learn back in chapter 2 about faith? For, for, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're able to stand firm in salvation. 
A salvation which is purchased for us by our Savior, as he said in chapter 2, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then finally, standing firm, holding, holding that sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the only weapon of it all. And we're reminded, maybe, of Paul's earlier words in just the last chapter, chapter 5, verse 26. What does he say that Christ is doing with the church? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. It is his word by which we are cleansed. The word by which we say no to temptations, just as our Savior did in the wilderness. What did he do? He quoted the scripture right back at the evil one and defeated him. The call for us this morning to put on our armor. But let's not miss it. We put on the armor. This is in the plural. We are called to do it. We put on this armor for for our own protection, yes. We put it on for the protection of our family. But you put it on for the protection of all of your brothers and sisters here in Christ. This is not just some solo pursuit. We put it on together. It's not just to protect ourselves, but to build us up. Paul, Paul earlier, he called us in chapter 2, what? The, 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 he's growing us up in what? To a holy temple in the Lord, coming together as, as one. So what do we do? We, you know, just think of those shields. What are we called to do? Is this shield just to keep people, keep the flaming darts of the evil one from hitting me? They're also to block your neighbor as well, to defend him or her as well. It's a corporate pursuit, not just an individual pursuit. It's both. Now, of course, our problem is, and I mentioned this a moment ago, is that we go into battle every day. The war rages every day, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to deal with it or not. And so often we go into battle, we don't put on the full armor, do we? We don't put on all these pieces that Paul mentions, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. And we wonder why we struggle. (laughs) Why things don't go as they should. And you know what Paul's telling us is God's giving you, giving you precisely what you need to be able to remain standing. If you'll only accept it, if you'll only put on the armor, the, the, the armor, and we can trust this armor because it protected our Savior. It sustained our Savior, surely. It will sustain you and I. And here we need to understand that if we'll really put it on, the armor come with, comes with some major effects, some really good effects. What does it look like? Because the battle rages every day, doesn't it? Maybe you're battling. I think maybe all of us can relate with this. If not, I'm just really exposing myself right now. But maybe the evil one comes at you like you're a fraud. You call yourself a Christian going to church this morning. Really? After the week that you've lived? Really? And you're going to church and pretending like everything's okay? Have you heard those 
evil, evil words whispered in your ear, words of condemnation. But my friends, if we have put on God's armor and and these flaming darts come flying at us, do you know what takes place? If we're we're really embedded in the truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation and we have the word of God as our sword, do you know what takes place? We say no. No. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He has promised and he will and he always forgives me. He has given to me, in fact, his perfect record. You cannot condemn me. Get behind me, Satan. If we'll only put on the armor that our Lord has been so kind, so generous to give us. He's given us what we need so that whenever those darts come flying at us, we can remain standing. Now, it's here that Paul seems to, at verse 18, he just seems to suddenly shift gears because he's talking about this armor, right? And then he suddenly shifts into talking about prayer. But just think about this for a moment. You're in battle. You have your armor on. What do you need? You need to communicate with your general. You need to be in communion with him. And so Paul says, pray, praying at all times in the spirit. With all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. One commentator puts it this way. Paul turns from military metaphors, right, as the main defense and suddenly he, he changes and he, and he talks that actually the advance that we're able to make in the kingdom, the, the forward, the, the offensive, how is it able to be made? But it takes place in prayer, in communing with our great God and Savior, the one who has equipped us with the armor that we so desperately need in order to stand. Many of you know the name Tim Keller. He's pastor in our denomination, now, now retired, been a great ministry to many of us. Um, he tells the story of around 1999, this is about halfway through, or maybe a little over halfway through his ministry. He, he taught a Bible study on Psalms, and he began to be convicted of it, and the lack of prayer in his life. Not too long later, 9-11 took place in New York City, where he ministered in Manhattan, was thrown amok, and again, how are we going to deal with this? Not too long later, his wife was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Then not too long later, he was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. He says at some point during all of that, he says, my wife urged me to do something with her, 
that we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly, she asked me to pray with her every night, every night. He said, she used an illustration. She said this, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine. A pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget it? Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you would never forget. You would never miss it. Then she said to him, well, if we don't pray together, to God, we're not going to make it because of all that we are facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We just can't let it skip our minds. He says it's at that moment that, that the penny dropped for him, if you will. Right? And, he, and they realized that the seriousness of the issue, we, and, and we admitted that anything that was truly a non-negotiable necessity was something that we could do. And that was more than 12 years ago, he says. Remember, this is well into the second half of his, his ministry, <laughs> years after I started listening to his sermon tapes, right? Back in the day when there used to be tapes, right? And that's what was sent to me in the mail. <laughs> what a different world. But he said, that was more than 12 years ago, and Kathy and I can't remember missing a single evening of praying together, at least by phone, and even when we've been apart in different hemispheres. Yes, we need our battle armor. We, we need to put it on, but we must be by necessity in constant communication with our commander. We need to be in constant communication with our great God. Constant, persistent in prayer. The battle is raging on and we must be regularly talking to him. We, we should flow. What Paul's talking about here is we should flow in and out of prayer in our daily life as, as easily as we breathe. It should be that kind of rhythm for us. Come to us that naturally. That we just move in and out of prayer throughout our day. So Paul tells us, that's the way you're going to remain standing. But did, did you catch it? It's not just about us remaining standing here with prayer. We need to be praying for one another, for the church. What does Paul call us to do? What, what did Paul call the Ephesians to? He said, will you please pray for me that I would have boldness? Now, some of you, we, we think of the Apostle Paul, and we think of him as like um, the, the, the super apostle, right? You know, that he himself, you know, the flaming darts would just bounce off of his chest, you know, because he is Paul the apostle, Right? But yet he pleads with them, will you pray that I would have boldness? And you see, as much as we may lift up the Apostle Paul and think he's so wonderful, it seems like boldness is at times was a real issue for him. Do you remember what the Corinthians said about him? His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. It seems like Paul, his letters that we get to read come across very bold. But it seems like at least at times when he was there in person, out of love, out of whatever, he seemed to struggle with that same boldness. And so he asked the Ephesians, would you please, this is a struggle for me. Would you, would you pray that I would be able to be bold? You see, the Apostle Paul is saying, I can't, 
This battle is raging. This war is raging. And I can't do what I'm called to do if you don't pray. I need your prayers. Not only do we need the armor, we need prayer. Persistent, constant prayer. So, we're all in a battle. The battle rages, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we try to ignore it, days or not. Paul has told us that this is true. And he's also told us some incredible truths, I think. That you and I, that we are able to stand because our Savior has already stood. He has already withstood. He himself wore the armor of God and he came out victorious. He suffered. He was tempted in every way as we are and yet did not sin. Now, one last thing. Called to put on this armor. Being the people that we are, the person I am, this can often lead to, we put on our armor, and then we become what? Proud of our armor. Proud of the fact that we put it on every day. We begin to think somehow this armor is from us. Somehow that it's ours, and we forget whose armor it really is. Remember when Jesus sends out the 72? In Luke 10, he sends out the 72. The 72, they, they, they come back. And they, what do they say? They say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They come back all excited. All excited for what they were, they, they put on the armor. And they'd gone out. And incredible things took place. And they were excited and pumped about it. And you know what Jesus says? He says, yes, some incredible things happen. He says, uh, and maybe we'll talk about this with the Revelation series coming up. I, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. But Jesus doesn't end there. He's encouraging, yeah, all that took place. I was at work, you were, you were wearing the armor. You're able to accomplish great things. He goes on to say this. Luke 10, verse 20. Nevertheless, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Did you hear that? The real battle is fought as we know and rejoice that our names are written in heaven, we are reminded as we stand in the truth, in righteousness, the gospel, faith, our salvation, holding the sword of the Spirit, the very word of God in our hands, as we're reminded of all the wonderful truths that we've heard as we've made our way through Ephesians, that they are true, that they are true of us, that this is real, And we are able, not because of our own strength, but because of his. Remember how he started off the passage in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might. And as a result, we are able to remain standing. And as Paul concludes the letter, these wonderful words of blessing, peace, he says, to be to you, to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that is true of us as we are united to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that as we find ourselves in the midst of a battle raging on, a battle even raging on in our hearts, we thank you that you have given us your armor. An armor that reminds us of the wonderful and the beautiful truths of the gospel. Oh, would you help us to put it on each day? Would you help us to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day, waking up throughout our day? And find ourselves not only reminding ourselves of the good news, but also in constant and regular communion with you. Oh, would you help us? Would you be with all of us gathered here in this room that we would be able and are able to remain standing because of the incredible work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We thank you for all of the wonderful blessings that come with the gospel. We thank you that you have given us your armor as well. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.